Welcome to the Untapped Storytellers podcast. If you believe in the power of art, culture, and creativity, this podcast is for you. We'll talk about how essential art and culture is, the role of creative industry plays in our society, and what's it like to be an artist. The goal is to support artists and build inclusive human-centered community and highlighting the people who are doing that work. You will hear from artists and creatives from different mediums and backgrounds. They will share their expertise, experiences, and their vision for the future so that we can learn from each other. You may consider yourself an artist, storyteller, maker, or creative. Even if you don't resonate with the word artist with a capital A, we're all creative in our own unique way. Art is a language that speaks human. Right now, this world needs healing more than ever, and we got some creating to do. So let's start. In this episode, Alita Brown joined the conversation about providing creative outlet and art as a healing tool in school system. Alita is a multimedia artist and educator based in New York who uses art as a way to explore her relationship with healing and grief. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining, Alita. I am so excited that you're here. Well, thank you for inviting me and organizing and hosting this. And I am so excited to be here and to talk to you. Aww. And also, audience, I'm sad that you can't see her glorious earring. I love it because I like the big earrings. And whenever people are rocking it, I just wanted to compliment it. Well, thank you. These earrings are special to me. I got them on my first trip to Jamaica, which is like uh, my ancestral homeland where my people are from. So uh Thank you. I appreciate you noticing those. Of course. It just catches my eye. Yeah. So as an artist, you use different mediums and you are multi-hyphenated like me. And so tell me, how do you describe yourself as an artist and as a human? Ooh, I've always struggled with that question, actually. Um, I'll start with the maybe the human part of that. I, I mixed so that I grew up uh, you know, in a family uh, where both of my parents came from different cultures um, and from different races. And so I think that that kind of feeds into the way that I express myself and interpret the world. So um, when I was a kid, I was lucky enough to, to have a mom who really uh, cared about the arts and is a musician herself. And so I got the opportunity to try a lot of things when I was young. And mm-hmm. I liked a lot of the things that I tried. And so as I grew older, I kind of um, I went through different phases of, of really dedicating myself to studying or, or exploring one medium. And so when I moved to New York for grad school, I kind of discovered this community of people that didn't say that you have to choose one lane or the other. And so I was able to really inhabit that mixed identity and use all of the different media that I uh, express myself as an artist to to create. I love that. Something that I'm toying with right now is, you know, people say find a balance, right? But I love this expression of finding harmony in your life. So that you can always find it, like a mix and match and like a blend all kinds of layers into our life and find harmony. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I love that you said like you get to tr- you got to try different mediums as you grow up. 
Um, when you're choosing the medium or when you're going into creating your own piece, does medium choose you or does your expression or story choose you? Oh, I, I don't, I don't choose the medium. So the, the story will come to me as it is. Right. And that will be in whatever medium it, it uh, presents itself as in my brain, you know, maybe something will come as a dance. Maybe something will come as a poem, but I, it, 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 it arrives as it is. And I just uh, am lucky to be kind of like a, a vessel to express that. But I, I don't, unless I'm doing something that is more um, collaborative, which can sometimes be focused on one specific area. So maybe it's just dance. So if I'm working with someone else and they're like, hey, uh, I'm doing this dance piece, like maybe we can do some structured improvisation around this, if it's more defined to begin with, then, you know, it's kind of, um, so in teaching, I'm a teacher full-time, there are different ways of designing lessons. And one of those ways is called universal backward design. So you start at the end mm. and you start with thinking about what you want your students to know, and then you move back and plan backwards so that they can get there. So in my art, sometimes I start at the end, I start with the medium I know I want and think about what I need to get there. And other times it just like usually just comes to me in the medium that it comes to me in. <laughs> I love that. And I would imagine that every process is different, but it, there, aside from picturing what you want at the end like what are some of the method or like things that you use or get inspired when you're creating things so I, I wouldn't say that I have one specific method but I am a big writer I think writing is kind of how I structure and organize my my life and my creative life particularly because it was probably the first form of expression that I had any access or um, experience in as a kid, right? You know, we all, well, not all of us, right? But many of us have the privilege to go to school and learn how to write. And so it's probably the thing that I'm, I'm very comfortable with. Um, but it also depends on what I'm approaching and what the purpose of, of what I'm creating is. So if I am creating for the purpose of processing uh, a heavy emotion or experience, I usually will write and dance. Those are like the two foundational uh, creative mediums for me. Uh, but if, you know, I'm creating for the purpose of inviting other people into a space to have a conversation about something, perhaps I'll approach it differently. Um, if I know that I want to create a, a, a dance painting, I am going to have to plan ahead, right? So it really depends on what the piece is and uh, my my purpose and my intentions behind it. Uh, and that will change how I approach it. Mm. Do you remember the first time you're intentionally, this is how I, how and what I want to communicate with the audience, hence I'm creating in such a way? Um, I'm trying to think of a specific example. Um, something to share like specifically with the audience in mind. Okay, yes. So when I was senior in college, I was working on my like final project and the project was exploring the different ways that we experience 
musical performance when it's mediated uh, through digital interfaces. Mm. So I, the way that I approach art has a lot to do with like the way that I teach, I think. So I was looking at, you know, is our experience of music as uh, as fulfilling or as meaningful to us when we listen to it in headphones versus if we're sitting in a concert. And so I, I sang, I did a set um, with a small jazz combo that I was a part of in college. And then I uh, created recordings of that music in a studio. And I asked people to kind of give feedback on that. And so that was kind of more research-based, but the audience, and the audience's feedback was like really, in, that, that was the whole point of it. That was mm. the whole point of the, the performance and that concert. Um, so I that's one area where the audience has been in mind, but I will say the, the work, the stuff I'm working on now centers so much around audience because it centers around community. And I think that um, some of my younger work was all about exploring my own identity because as a young artist, as a mixed person, I think there was so much that I was using art for to, to understand myself. Mm. And so it was more uh, focused on self. But as I've grown up a little bit and uh, had the, the opportunity to, to dig into who I am as an individual, I'm able to turn out a little more and say, how do I bring people in? And um, like you mentioned at the beginning, I'm a multi-hyphenate artist. And, and one of the things that I, I consider uh, a creative outlet for me is production and, and creating shows and putting those things together. And so I think when I started working in production in New York City, that was a moment when audience became the center for me because it was about how can I create an experience for people to, to get the most that they possibly can out of this or, or what, whatever the artists who are performing in the space, like whatever their intention is for the, for the audience. And it, it really becomes a connection, right? Like it's, it's not one dimensional and it's, it's so much more a layer and audience get to be, be a part of the collaboration. And I think that's so exciting. It's like you said, like you get to open up a lot more and invite folks into the world that we're building together. And that's such a beautiful thing. And I, I, was, I was going through, I love to go through people's Instagram when I get, invite people into And then one of the pieces stood up for me. And I think when I started learning about you and your work, ever since we met at Prime Produce, shout out to Prime Produce, awesome space. And my experience of you had been, you are a dancer, you are a movement per- person. And I found this poem, if I may quote this, it's so beautiful. And I had to, sh- and moving is medicine. Moving is medicine. Moving is medicine. Heavy tired sad processing pandemic death lynching hurting moving healing moving moving its medicine moving its medicine moving its medicine gotta keep moving 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 and i'm saying this right now and i get goosebumps right now 
Um, can you explain a little bit about this piece? Yeah. So during the pandemic, I think my art took on a, a very practical purpose for me, which was just being able to keep going, to keep my, how would I put it? I, I needed to have a reason to remain grateful for my own life and my existence in this world at a moment when it was so easy to be discouraged. Mm -hmm. And so I fell back on the ways that I had learned to understand and interpret and digest what was happening around me. And that was my creativity and that was my dancing and that was my writing. And, it, and in that moment, in that year, that first year of the pandemic, I also felt encouraged to start exploring other mediums. So I started painting, right? And I, and I started feeling this connection between art that I hadn't felt before. And I mentioned, you know, when I got to New York, it felt like, oh, I don't have to be siloed. I don't have to choose a lane, but there was still some of that. And I think when I took a minute um, to step away from art for the purpose of making work to put out there, right? And I and I stood and I stepped into the purpose of art for my own well-being, art for uh, the sake of finding purpose in life and understanding the world around me. Then I was able to see how interwoven all mm -hmm. of these different things that I was doing um, really are. So when I said movement is medicine, I, I meant that because when I thought about my own mental health, it would not be what it is without my movement. Like I need that as a way of maintaining my baseline, right? And maintaining my ability to, to care for myself. And, and without movement, I, I think I really would have been so weighed down by everything that was happening that it would have been hard for me to get up. But I was lucky that I had the opportunity to learn to use these creative channels in order to process what was going on in the world. Thank you for sharing that. During the pandemic, I recognize it myself, like it, doing exercise is one thing, but moving in order for you to listen to your own body, it's a completely different thing. And this is a, such a moment that we were almost forced to recognize what is our body trying to communicate with us. And in more way than one, right? I think that we all have this kind of anticipatory anxiety of like, what if I get sick? What if something happens to someone I love? And it, and it almost became not a what if, but a when. When this happens, what will I do? How will my body respond? And how can I still treat myself with love even though I'm so aware of my own mortality, right? <laughs> I'm aware that there is an end, but I can still find a purpose in the moment. Mm -hmm. and being able to re release wanting to control outcomes, release wanting to control how tomorrow will go, how a year from now will go, because we really don't have the ability to do that in any way, shape, or form. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and, and saying, I can sit in this moment and be present with what is coming up within me and acknowledge that and care for that and, and be here now. I, I had a therapist that always used to say, keep your head where your feet are. And I really kind of held on to that. Keep your head where your feet at. 
What does that mean for you? I think it means that when I get into these patterns of rumination and, you know, uh, just kind of circling around in my own head and caught up um, in, in conflict within myself, I take a moment to pause and think and say to myself, is this useful? <laughs> is this helping me in any way? And in any way? And, and if it's not, then why am I doing it? And I am paying attention to what is around me at this moment. If I'm going on a walk and I'm only thinking about the fact that I have to finish filing my taxes, am I going to miss the first flowers of spring that are poking up through the ground next to me? Am I going to miss a cute dog walking by or a sweet old woman that's waving hello that like happened to be my parents' neighbor? How much am I missing by allowing myself to be swept away by what's going on in my mind instead of keeping my head where my feet are? Yeah. And I hate the word like a small thing in life because there's no such thing as a small thing in life because everything has a meaning. You know, right now we're in the last day of March and, you know, lots of buds are coming out, flowers are here, and little birds are doing things. And that's a very, very intimate moment that we might miss out otherwise. So thank you for reminding that. And I want to go back a little bit. And you use the term medicine in this in this piece. And I know that your work is really about investigating healing. Why are you curious about this? Uh, I'm going to tell a little story. So growing up, I lived in many places, but um, my, my parents are both in the like compassion fields, I would call them. So my dad is a primary care doctor and he is an immigrant and he always wanted to give back to the community that he came from. And he was raised by two Jamaican parents and um, who, who had a really strong, I think it still a really strong sense of, you know, we are here in order to, um, Give, not only give thanks for life, but in order to help care for, for the world around us. My grandmother was a nurse midwife. And so I come from this lineage of people who, who have been kind of stewards of healing, who uh, make it a point to make sure that while they're on this earth, they are doing what they can to bring healing to others. Mm -hmm. My mom is a teacher and a musician. And so she was kind of teaching people the ways that they can explore who they are. I mean, she's a language teacher and a music teacher. And I think that we use both language and music in order to explore who we are as people. And so I come from a family that, that really cares about making time for other people and for caring for themselves. And I, I kind of, felt growing up that this was something that I wanted to continue in my own life, right? Like if I am on this earth, I would like to think it's for some reason. <laughs> and, um, and how can I make sure that I'm making this place uh, a place where love is at the center of how I interact with other people and a, pla a place where my actions are helping to, to heal, not to harm. 
And that's a very hard thing to do uh, <laughs> because I think we're all complicit in many ways in, you know, not just the destruction of the earth, but the, the systems that we're a part of, whether that be like capitalism or, you know, a, a patriarchy, right? There's so many different systems we're all complicit. So how can I use my art? How can I use my professional work uh, as a teacher in order to bring healing into this world? Um, can you ask me the question one more time? Because there was something else that I had in mind and I wanted to make sure that it applies. Yeah, of course. Um, the question was, it was inspired by the word medicine. Um, what does the curiosity for healing come from? Mm. So it's definitely my dad, <laughs> doctor. That's a big, big part of it. But I think another part of it uh, is that I, I really, I, I think we're 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 on this earth to to care for each other, right? And to care for our earth. And I, I take that responsibility seriously, and I want to do what I can to minimize harm and move healing forward because it, it's something that matters a lot deeply to me and uh, on a personal level and on an, a community level. The, the reason that healing has taken such a front seat in my art comes out of my teaching work. When I was getting my master's in education, my thesis was titled, How Do We Heal? And the subtitle for the thesis was using our knowledge of trauma and our cultures to transform schools into spaces of healing for the whole community. And so in that work, I was researching all of these different ways that public schools in New York City, unfortunately, perpetuate harm and the cycle of poverty and mm. the school to prison pipeline and looking at ways that educators are able to mitigate that harm. But through that work, I also realized that I needed to explore this creatively. And as much as I enjoy reading and writing and, and I, and I will say for all of its faults, I, I love, I love parts of academia, <laughs> not all of it, but I, I love the ability to, to research one question deeply and just sit with it. And so once I did that in this master's program, kind of naturally my art just started to shift toward that topic. Mm. It became something that I wanted to practice in my classroom, but also in my, in my art space and in my creative space. Um, I'm curious, like you said, uh, you want, you practice in your classroom and you explained a little bit earlier, but what does that look like uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? <laughs> I am incredibly lucky to work at a school that does a lot to mitigate, I think, some of the harm that is often seen in schools. So the school that I work at is a consortium, public consortium high school. So that means that they have a waiver from the state that exempts them from standardized testing. And that also means that teachers have a lot more autonomy in what they choose to teach. I think so much of the harm that happens in our schools is either what is being taught or what is not being taught. Mm -hmm. And so I am able to teach about 
things like the racial contract. We just finished a, a unit on philosophy looking on the ways that white supremacy was constructed by Europeans in order to subjugate and, and pillage and exploit many parts of the world, right? And I'm, I'm able to have those conversations with my students. I'm able to talk about white fragility and white supremacy. I don't have to be at the risk of losing my job like many teachers are if I want to talk about these things in my classroom. But another thing that, that I think is really important about the school that I work at and, and the ways that healing shows up is that instead we, we have a restorative justice uh, framework for dealing with conflict. And although sadly suspensions still happen at a rate much higher than I think that they should, uh, there is a, a structure and a framework for teachers and students to sit down and talk about what happened, to listen to each other, and to have some sort of restorative practice to, to, to address harm that has been done. So for example, let's say a kid comes in to a class and is upset and knocks a bunch of things onto the ground and yells and walks out. Right. So there are a few ways that a teacher could address that situation. One could be calling a school safety officer. One could be going and talking to them in the hallway. Another could be maybe, you know, asking them to come back in and sit down and address it with them later. But at the school, we'll say, OK, let's set up a time with a social worker, or a counselor to sit down and have a, a circle and talk about what just happened and think about a restorative action that can address what just happened. So a restorative action in that situation might be the student will help the teacher clean the room and clean up the best that they made, right? Instead of being suspended. Right. So really directly addressing the harm that was done with an action that is, you know, proportional and, and not perpetuating harm. I love that. And it, it's such an important work. And I think it, it gives more autonomy for children to verbalize a lot of their experience rather than being punished upon their behavior. I think I've actually never been to a school here in the States. I grew up in Japan, so education systems are completely different. So I won't be able to comment on anything. But from the way I've been hearing everything, everything is very black or white. Either you're good or you're bad. In New York City schools, quite literally black and white. So when we think about, you know, have we really moved away from uh, systems that are perpetuating racial harm and other harm? We haven't, you know, we have to <laughs> to look at the bigger the bigger picture there, too. Yeah. Um, is there a more initiative or a movement in, within educational system to integrate these restorative approach? Like, what are things that you would hope to see? Well, I would say that there is a movement toward more trauma-informed teaching, but not necessarily more healing-centered engagement, which is what my work is focused on. And the, 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 the thing that differentiates those two is what you center. One centers trauma and one centers healing. And those are two very different ways of approaching education, right? So trauma trauma-centered or trauma-informed teaching, in my opinion, I think in some ways 
overemphasizes trauma to the point that they don't make space for forward movement for students, right? So the student is always approached as only a traumatized individual, not as an individual that has experienced trauma. And, and that's, it, it's kind of, um, you know, when we think about um, person-centered language, we have, uh, we could say colored people or people of color, right? So one just sees people as, okay, you are a colored person, right? Black person, right? And, and, and there are nuances within that, that people will still use that. It's not a, a perfect analogy, but the other way of putting it puts the person first and, and then the race, right? So we wanna think about trauma as something that someone has experienced, but not the only thing that defines them. And healing-centered engagement looks at trauma as a part of a whole, right? Trauma is a part of, uh, most people experience trauma in their life and it is subjective, but it is not the only defining thing about a person. And when we ask educators and only um, give ed educators trauma-informed workshops and professional development, I think we're missing the mark because we are asking them to focus in on something that is one part of a whole, right? And we want to see children as whole children, as whole people, yeah. not just uh, the a person that has been assaulted or lost a loved one or, you know, like that is one experience in their life. And we don't want them thinking about themselves that way either. Right now, I would say there's a lot of, of attention being given to trauma-informed teaching, which is a start, but I would love to see more of a progression towards toward healing-centered engagement. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for explaining the uh, distinction between those two. And I think that's so important. It is a part of it. It is a whole. And where can we move forward from there, understanding that's the whole? And I think that's a, such a beautiful thing. And it, it's empowering. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the goal of education in my mind, in my philosophy as a teacher, is to empower people and give them the tools to explore the things that they're curious about. And I can't decide that for them, but they, I, my hope is that when people leave my classroom, they feel prepared to explore the things that they're curious and care about in the world. I love it. I, I mentioned that I grew up in the education system in Japan, but I think a lot of the things are information consumption. Information was given to me. I memorized it. I was a good test taker then, but I was not a good learner. And the way that I learned a lot of the things that I, I still remember and I learned are either I read a book, I was inspired by the documentary, or like I had a really good conversation with people and I got curious. So I really wanted to learn about these things rather than just consuming the information. So I think empowering this youth to have a curiosity and have a space to ask questions and, and give them a tools and access to investigate what they're curious about as an educator, I think that it's that is super cool <laughs> i mean we're all trying uh i think most educators can tell you that this has been a year of trials <laughs> and tribulations but one of the things that i think will help is pouring money into funding our education and giving 
students the ability to learn creative outlets to explore these things. Um, because that's part of how we'll heal. And that's part of what I wrote about in, in my master's thesis was that students need nonverbal ways of exploring heavy topics and difficult situations and experiences that they do not have words for yet, that none of us may have words for yet. And when we take those opportunities away for people, we're taking the ability for them to process it in a healthy way, taking away the ability for them to explore it in, in a, in a manner that is um, safe for them at that time, because sometimes putting words to things that have happened to us can re-traumatize actually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just coming back to the art, I think that there is something really special and really powerful about creative medium because they give us the, the ability to grapple with these huge things that happen in our lives without language and without words. And, and, and that gives people who might not have a shared language, the ability to, to communicate. And I think that's beautiful. Absolutely. And what are the, some of the cool stuff like children or your student express their feelings or emotions and your, their exploration? How, how do they express? Yeah. That? Oh man. I mean, so I am a content area teacher. I actually don't, I don't teach art. I teach English as a second language. So one of the things that I have noticed is that when there is music, so I'm going to back up a second. I, I teach a population of students that are primarily, primarily Latinx. And as a kid, I lived in the Dominican Republic for six years. And so I learned, was able to learn Spanish and that's where I started dancing, actually. And so one of the, the wonderful things about teaching in the community that I'm a part of is that music is a part of the culture. And so if they get to choose what to play, you know, they'll put on music they want to dance to. And like if it's bachata, they'll start dancing. And I, I, I really love seeing the way that like my, my students share joy with each other and through through moving <laughs> and it's not something I ask them to do it's something they do on their own and if we have a down a moment of downtime or an after-school event or just an opportunity to play music that they that they get to choose there will almost definitely also be movement and dancing that accompanies that again it goes back to moving your body moving and through the emotions and just literally connecting with the community and it's uh it's a party, man. It's a party. <laughs> There's so much joy in movement. And that goes, is also why I think movement is medicine. Because when we listen to the things that our bodies or, or the ways, or maybe when I, I'll, I'll stop, when I listen to the ways that my body is, is asking me to move or the thing, the places where my body feels some sort of blockage, and, and, and I, then I move in that way, I'm able to channel and process and digest what I'm working through. And I think that whether or not you go into dancing with that intention, oftentimes that tends to be some of the outcome. Yeah, there you, you, you can go in with one intention and you come out on the other side with a completely different, different liberation. That's the beauty of it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Freedom.
<laughs> exactly. Freedom, freedom. Indeed. Okay. Um, I have one more question, but before we do, if people want to find out more about your work, how can people find you? So Instagram and email. I know it's so 1999. <laughs> I love it. But I, um, I use social media every now and then I check it about like twice a week. <laughs> I try to be mindful about um, the time I'm spending online. So my Instagram is Alita N Brown. So my first name, A-L-E-T-A-N-B-R-O-W-N. <laughs> and my email is alita.n.brown at gmail.com. So if you have questions, or want to see some of the work that I'm doing, uh, you can go to Instagram and DM me there or just shoot me an email. I'm always happy to start conversation with people who are looking into healing or curious about the work. Yeah, awesome conversation got spark and an awesome education community will open up and it's it's going to be beautiful. So reach out or come by a Prime Produce. Yeah, that's another place you can find me. <laughs> Pretty often, I'm there a lot. Alita yeah. might have a paint on her face. I might, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I do is body medium painting and um, dance painting. So that's basically where I use my body as the paintbrush of sorts. So I'm just covered in paint <laughs> after, after those pieces. That's a masterpiece right there. <laughs> no, thank you. So my last but not least final question is that if there is one word or if there's not not one word, I don't feel like that right now. Mm. If there is a love message or a love note that you would like to share with the audience today, what would you say? Mm. I'm going to share something that someone else shared with me. Find your magnificence. Find your magnificence. I say that with the assumption that you're already magnificent. And when we take a moment to turn in, to explore that, and to give gratitude, I think that a lot of, I don't know, self-validation and uh, affirmation and love for ourselves can can come come to be and through that we're able to give to others thank you that's beautiful find your magnificence i'm gonna observe that definitely need to meditate and journal on it it's there i know it's there you go thank you and i think that's that's so important. That's the beauty of the community, right? Like, even when you don't see your own magnificence, there are people who are going to remind you that, yeah, you got it. Well, if you ever need a reminder, I am more than happy. <laughs> <laughs> and when you need it, I will, I will remind you. <laughs> yeah, but that's why we're here for each other. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, thank you so much, Alita, for joining this conversation today. And you're magnificent. Well, thank you. And so are you. <laughs> I was so happy to be here. Thank you. I hope you continue to search your own magnificence and surround yourself with the people who will love you. You can check out Alita's artwork on Instagram at Alita 
N. Brown. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untap Storytellers podcast. If you discovered something new in this episode, tell us what you discover and write a review, so that more people can support artists and creative industry. And if you have a suggestion of what people should know about the creative industry, or if you're working on an awesome project, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website www.antapstorytellers.com or follow us on Instagram antapt_storytellers. Till next story, let's stay connected.